Hey guys, Madeline here. As many of you know, we are in between seasons seven and eight of the podcast. During this 10-week break, we are rebroadcasting some of our very favorite episodes. If you are listening to this episode for the first time, awesome. I cannot wait for you to hear it. If you are listening for your second time or third or fourth, I think that is also awesome. These episodes are so meaty and they can take on a new or different meaning the second or third time around. If you would love to chat with other listeners about the content of this episode, be sure to join us this Tuesday via Zoom for a discussion group all about it. And one of the best things about these groups are the friendships being created with other listeners who get it. They've been so well-loved by those who attend. We have three groups to choose from, one that meets at 8 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, one that meets at 8 p.m. Central Standard Time, and one at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and they're all on Tuesdays. Hopefully one of these times work for you and you can come and share your thoughts on the rebroadcasted episode of the week. If this is something you would love to join or try out, just tap the link in the show notes and we will get your information and you'll be sent a Zoom link to join. And as usual, there is absolutely no cost involved. Okay, enjoy the episode and be sure to come back next week. I've held babies when their parents couldn't be there when they passed away. And that's really hard, but it also, there's so much privilege that goes into my job. Hello, you're listening to The Rare Life. I'm your host, Madeline Cheney. Today I have for you Confessions of a NICU Nurse. This is a part two of sorts to our What Your Child's Doctors Want You to Know But Don't Tell You from a few episodes ago. I think it's super important and insightful to hear perspectives from those in our child's medical and therapy tribe. They are there for all of it, and they have a lot to share. When I opened it up for you to submit questions for her on Instagram and Facebook, I was kind of surprised to see how many questions were directed towards her as a person. I think there is a genuine curiosity on like what it's like for them. And so we went in that direction. We talk about her highest highs and her lowest lows, among other things. And I hope you feel impacted by her insights, whether your child is currently in the NICU, is a NICU grad, or skipped over entirely. Nurses deserve the world for all the care and love they give our kiddos in a flavor and version that we just can't. Just a quick disclaimer, the patients that Sam refers to in the episode have given their permission for her to speak about them. I'm super excited to introduce the stellar NICU nurse we get to hear from, but first we have a new question of the month and it fits beautifully with these episodes. It is, what do you wish your child's medical team knew? One more time. What do you wish your child's medical team knew? This can be positive, negative, or neutral. Whatever comes to your heart. I love this one so much, and I'm really excited to see the answers. As usual, you can submit those answers on the website, therealifepodcast.com, 
or on Instagram by following me at the underscore rare underscore life, where I'll open it up to responses on my stories. Okay, I want to introduce our superstar NICU nurse, Sam Kiersey, who's not just any NICU nurse. So way back in season one, I interviewed the phenomenal woman who is Carrie Harbath about her experiences with her deafblind daughter, Sloan, and we did an entire episode as a tribute to her medical and therapy team. Well, Sam happens to be the nurse that she lovingly talks about in the episode. It's episode 11, so go check that out if you haven't yet. Carrie and Pham and Sam have remained tighter than tight, like hanging out in real life and Sam naming her dog after Sloan kind of tight. This, plus the love and passion Sam has for her calling slash occupation as a NICU nurse, made her the perfect fit for this conversation. She even was awarded the coveted DAISY Award given to exceptional NICU nurses. She's currently working towards her doctorate as a neonatal nurse practitioner so she can, quote, take care of everyone's kids. Sam's awesome. You will love her. Sam lives in the Salt Lake City area with her boyfriend, Brandon, two dogs, Wrigley and Rosie Lou, and two cats, Mo and Poppy. Sam is a lover of hammocks and hiking. Let's dive in. Hi, Sam. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, I am so excited to chat. You know, when choosing who to kind of represent NICU nurses and really pediatric nurses in general, I knew you were the one. So anyway, I'm just very excited that it is you specifically that I'm talking to and get to share with my listeners. So I would love to start out hearing a little bit about why you went into nursing in the first place and then why you decided to become specifically a NICU nurse. When I was in high school, I wanted to be a teacher. Mm -hmm. I even student taught third and fourth grade my senior year. And then one of my best friends got diagnosed with colon cancer. She was a year behind me and it was totally bizarre, but I got to go to some of her treatments with her and like just be her buddy. And I met the nurses at CHOP and I just, I really liked what they did and how important they were in her life in that short, but terrifying, but also like uplifting point of her life. And then I switched my major to nursing and went to Pitt's nursing program. Wow. Oh my gosh. That's really cool. I've talked to a long, long time ago, a mom who, because of her son's medical issues and stuff, where she was in the hospital a lot and stuff, she decided to go into nursing. And so I think there's things like that, that you're like, okay, that was kind of sucky. And I wish that, you know, they were okay and healthy and everything. But then like, I think it's really cool when things like that are motivation to go into it because you really see it in action. Like you were there seeing the nurses and seeing like the impact that they had on your friend, right? And like how important they were. It just kind of speaks to your soul. Yeah, totally. So I want to jump right into story time, really. I would love for this to be a lot of personal experience. And let's start out with hearing some of the low points. Like, I think we can all see how that your job would be really cool, but also like really hard, right? Like with these sweet little babies that are going through a lot. So 
if you think about some of the lowest points in your career, what comes to mind? I think some of my lowest are when we have babies that don't make it. Yeah. But also some of the lowest are just hearing the doctors present families with really hard diagnoses that you know what the outcome probably is going to be, but you also want to root for that family to have as much time and all of that bonding that they can have with their baby. And you want to make them realize that even if they don't have a lot of time, there's still time that they can make count and make really great memories, even if it is in the NICU. Mm. Um, I've held babies when their parents couldn't be there when they passed away. And that's really hard, but it also, there's so much privilege that goes into my job. And I actually think a lot about that now during the pandemic, because not so many visitors can come in. Mm. So we've had a lot of mom and dad can come in and, but siblings can't come in or grandparents can't come in. And so you are their family through these really tough times. Wow. You know, the baby, the parents know the baby and this extended family wants to know the baby, but they're not going to. And so the privilege to be there for those parents and to love that baby for them is just like, it's amazing. I have goosebumps talking about it right now. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And that I think as a parent too, like knowing that, cause you can tell specifically when, whether it's the NICU nurse or the doctor or whoever it is, you can tell when they care. Like you can tell when they feel like an extension of the baby's family and, and loved ones. And I think that makes a world of difference. Like I have a very distinct, uh, several distinct memories of like NICU nurses that I loved and that I felt really comfortable with. Like because you know you're leaving your baby there like there's nothing quite like that like saying goodbye to your baby and going home for the night or whatever it is right and I think you know I have very distinct memories of the nurses I did not trust and I was like I don't want to leave him here with her like right you know and then the ones I was like oh my gosh I love her like she'll do anything for him like like a little bit of an extension of me when I can't be there mm-hmm. no I definitely feel that I've had moms say that that it's, it's so hard to walk away at night and not really know what was going to happen. Especially like we just got cameras in the NICU and we didn't have those before. And I can't imagine leaving my baby. I think I would a hundred percent be that person that never left the chair. If I ever had an infant in the NICU. Yeah. Yeah. So do you have like a specific, I don't know, maybe a couple stories of these low points but that were also special like you mentioned like it's really hard but it's also really special I have a lot actually I it's hard to sort through honestly just this past year I took care of a family during the pandemic whose little girl didn't make it and it was kind of like a whirlwind of we're at this point now and we need you to be here they knew I was going to be back that night. And so we arranged that I would be able to be her nurse and mom and dad and I all just took turns holding her all night on this crazy ventilator that could ventilate a brick in all honesty, Mm. just so that we could have time with her. And like the physicians would come in and they check on the family, but they would check on me too. When I was holding her just to know, like her parents and I are the only people that ever held her. 
And I love that baby so much. And I think about her often, but there are also times where you're just, you're the one that's there holding mom and dad's hand, or you're there holding the parent who can sort through the pain of being there when your baby says goodbye. And it's heavy and it's a lot. And sometimes you come home and you're defeated and you're crushed because you know, you did everything under the sun. And it still ended up that way, but also you gave that family memories or you gave them a celebration of life that last day. And you had pictures taken and you got to go outside for the first time, or you got to make family artwork that they're going to have for the rest of forever, or make footprints and handprints and send notes home to siblings to let them know that their baby brother or sister loves them. Hmm. And that is one of my favorite things to do and hear back from parents that their siblings knew that they were there. Hmm. I love that. I think like even thinking about um, different parents I've talked to whose children died, either were stillborn or, you know, shortly after. And a lot of them talk about how the hardest part is when, or I don't know, I don't know if there's like a hardest part, but like one of the hardest things is when people are afraid to talk about their babies or try to ignore it or like, oh, I'll make them sad by saying anything. And like, they just need to move on and that'll make them happy. And that how that, that is so painful to have that very real child minimized. Mm-hmm. And I think it's also very traumatic. And so I really love that you are willing to like lean into that and to be like, yeah, we don't know if this baby will make it or, you know, we think they will. And it's really hard or whatever it is like to to take the time to acknowledge and celebrate and really lean into that baby's humanness and like the realness of them and how special they are, even if it's sad and it causes pain to become attached and to you know do these different things that you do for families. It's like an investment. You invest in that baby, no matter what the outcome is. And it's a triumphant and amazing feeling when you get to see them walk out those doors, but it's a different kind of feeling when you hold them for the last time and you help the parents say goodbye when they have to go down to the morgue or you let them know, like, I'm going to be here with her or him until you're ready for me to take them. Or if you like, if you need specific things done, then they'll be done. Mm, I love that. And how does that affect you? You mentioned a little bit about like, you'll come home feeling defeated, but like on a emotional level or like a soul level, how, I guess, here's my question. If you picture a version of yourself that maybe went into teaching instead, and then you picture yourself now, how do you feel like the hard and awesome and all in between that you've been through as being in this profession, how do you feel like that has affected you or changed kind of the course of who you've become? I wouldn't change my choice for the world. I think that all of the babies I've taken care of, and I remember most of them have just picked this little part of my heart and they make me smarter and they make me stronger And sometimes they kind of lessen the blow when it's time to say goodbye, because you say to yourself like, oh, I know many little friends that you're going to have on the other side that are waiting Hmm. or they're going to come and they're going to hold your hand 
or you just like relate little things to them. Like I had a little girl that I took care of at my old hospital and we related everything to bumblebees for her. Hmm. And so we always told her that she could come back and see us as a bumblebee. And so every time I think of that, Hmm. but I mean, I think teaching would have been a good path too, but I think that all of the families and the kids that I have been able to be a part of their lives in nursing has shaped me to be the resilient, compassionate person that I try to be every day. Oh yeah, totally. I'm sure. And like, I think, you know, when these really, really hard things or, you know, things that are just very soul stretching are happening, you know, it's obviously uncomfortable. Like, you know, I I don't know that anyone's like, this is fun or like, this feels good. Like when things like that are happening. But I think, I don't know, like, at least for me, I feel like there's like this feeling of growth that you're like, this is sucky and it's hard, but like, I can feel myself changing. Right. And I think that's a cool feeling. I think it's, it's a cool one. It's not fun, but it's a cool feeling. Yeah. I get to come home and I get to think about them and reflect on that time that I had with them and their families in the NICU. And then I get to apply that to the next baby that yeah. finds a little piece of that heart. Yeah. And yeah. use that knowledge and that experience to make theirs better. I love that. That is so cool. Do you have coping skills for yourself personally, like to deal with the heavy and the hard and when you're feeling exceptionally like weighed down or, or defeated, like you mentioned? I have four animals <laughs> that help a whole, whole lot. And I have a very understanding boyfriend and we have sad days where there are days that I will come home from work and I'll just be like, tomorrow's going to be a sad day. And we just, we be sad for that day. And we can lay around in pajamas and watch Harry Potter because that's what makes us happy. And that's what's comfortable. Um, but after the sad day, then you just, you just try to remember the happy you go back and it's okay to reflect and remember. And sometimes the tears come and the heartache comes back or you walk past their room or you admit a new baby in their room and it's all fresh again, but it's a memory. It's not a bad memory. It's not necessarily a good memory, but it's a memory that you got to live with them. Oh my gosh. I really like that. I think going back to what you said about sad days, like I feel like we can all learn from that too. And personally, that's something I'm trying to like allow myself because I think we fear the sadness. Like we fear feeling like, oh, I'm dysfunctional right now because I just want to be in pajamas and watch Harry Potter. But like you're soothing yourself, right? Like you soothe your babies that you take care of or your children and your animals. And like you can soothe yourself too. Like when you're going through these sad things, you know, and I think the sadness that we feel either over a child's death or just the struggle, like watching them suffer, like that is part of the relationship we have with them. Like if we didn't feel sad seeing them pass away or seeing them struggle, like, could you really say that you loved them? Like, could you really, if it didn't affect you? And could you say that, you know, happiness and you know, joy, if you can't feel the sad. Yeah. And you're stuck in apathy. Not exactly. <laughs> oh yeah. Um okay, so like kind of switching gears, what 
are some of your high moments? You mentioned when families get to leave the NICU, what are some things that fall under the category of like the highest of highs that you've experienced as a NICU nurse? My first highest of highs that I can remember is my first sick cardiac baby that I admitted. It was a tetralogy of Fallot diagnosis and I got to admit him and I got to send him home. Hmm. And I just remember sobbing when his parents walked him out of the neighborhood. <laughs> and then another moment is everybody knows Carrie and Sloan. <laughs> yeah. um, you just, you get so invested. And the day that I came back and Sloan was extubated, I just sobbed. Mm. And I stood there with Carrie and Aaron and Sloan and I just cried. I was so excited for her. Mm. But like seeing these babies that you work so hard with progress and get better or like see their care team realize like, oh, this baby does have a lot more potential than we thought they did. Yeah. Or we thought this baby wasn't going to be here anymore and they're eating mm-hmm. or they're on low flow oxygen that they could go home with potentially. I've been taking care of a baby for the past couple of months that I was certain I was going to have to say goodbye to. And she's doing so good. And even on the nights that I don't get to have her, I still go see her just to remind myself, like, this is why you do it. Sorry for crying. Oh, no. I mean, like, it's intense stuff. Like, I can, I just, I can feel, like, the intensity of which you care for these babies, right? Like, these babies that are fighting so hard just to live. And I think that's what's so that was really eye-opening to me because, you know, when my son was admitted to the NICU, that was the first time I'd been in a NICU. And I think it is for most parents. And you look around and thinking like, these babies that are like days, weeks, months old, they've already gone through more than I've ever been through in my life. Mm -hmm. And to see them fight so hard and struggle so hard to just to live. I mean, like it is so uh, out of this world. I don't know. I can't even think of a word, but I'm sure you understand. what I'm talking. They have a will. They do. They have a will. Yeah. And it's yeah. a big one. Just, yeah. Oh my goodness. These babies. So I would love to talk about something I guess I'll like put words in your mouth as like a high you probably had is working with Sloan, our famous baby, and coming up with the touch cue system. I guess I'll let you tell the story. Can you tell us a bit about problem solving and figuring this system out for baby Sloan and kind of why they needed this system in the first place and the whole story? So that was actually a really big teaching moment for me. And I try to do it for all of my babies now, but being deaf blind and you're already in a world you don't know, you're just born. You don't know what's going on. And then to not be able to see or hear what is happening around you and just having the sense of touch or pain has to just be so overstimulating and overwhelming, especially for like the developing brain and the mind and personality. And so it actually came from her grandma. Mm-hmm. Um, Kim had brought it up as an idea that she had spoken to her friend and she was wondering. And so I'm pretty sure I worked a night shift that night. So I had some time and I just thought about it. And I thought about if I had to live my life with my eyes closed, I couldn't hear anything. What would make 
life more pleasant. And that would be knowing when someone was around me mm. and having like a routine. And so we started with her parents and grandparents would say hi to her one way. And then the medical staff would say hi to her a different way, which was patting her head mm. gently, just letting her know like, okay, I'm here. I don't want to startle you. Mm. And at first it was a startle, but then she got used to it. And I created this Harry Potter themed, like, this is how you're going to do my care. You're going to do a temperature first, and then you're going to do mouth care. And then you can listen and do your assessment and then change your diaper and then suction and then tuck her in. Mm -hmm. And I really think that helps her cope and realize like, oh, the world isn't so horrible and my heels aren't going to get poked all the time. Yeah. And someone's not going to try to shove an endo tube down my throat every time something goes in my mouth. But from working with her, I've been able to apply that to a lot of other babies that have different things going on, or you figure out what makes them comfy and what works for them. And you just kind of capitalize on that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that's like so important. I, oh my gosh, I just feel for these babies, right? Like just connected to all these tubes and wires going down their nose and their throat and, you know, IVs and just all of it. It's just what an introduction to the world, right? It's like, I promise, like life is not going to be like this forever. And I think, like you say, being able to make it as comfortable as possible or like as pleasant as possible. I'm sure like for Sloan's parents and then all parents of, of the babies you care for when you take the time to do that, like that probably means so much to them because I mean, there aren't a lot of things you can do. You have a lot of restrictions of what you can do to help them have a pleasant life and right. you know, for several months. And yeah, I think that's so important. And I've learned to keep in the back of my mind of like, don't tuck a baby in on a low note. Like if they're too tiny, make sure you give them a hand hug before you close up their isolate or you play with their hair before they go to bed or... I have babies that I read Harry Potter to. Mm -hmm. And so after like the big set of care at the beginning of the night, we settle in and we read a chapter of Harry Potter mm. or play the Beatles. We have a lot of jam sessions. <laughs> That's so much. But like you, you figure out what calms them and try to remember to do that before they close their eyes. Yeah. I really, really like that. Just adding bits of joy into their lives. And like kind of going back to what we talked about before, like you don't know how long they're going to live. Like you don't know if they'll, you know, graduate from the NICU and go live any other life from what they know there. And so to embrace every moment you have with them and that they have on this earth, whether or not they get to leave the NICU, I think that's like a very, just a very noble aspiration because you know in the NICU like the goal is to keep these babies alive and not a lot of thought is often at least from like our experience it didn't seem like a lot of thought was put into but how can we also give him some joy or some amount of happiness too on top of everything else and I think that's that's a very very important thing that is probably often overlooked do you have any more highs that you want to share birthdays I love birthdays for these babies. 
they are just like, not only is it a birthday, but it's such a celebration of all of the things that they've overcome, all of the hospital stays and the intubations and decannulations and all the things. But to see them grow and do things that, I don't know, maybe a doctor said they weren't going to do. But you had belief and you knew that they had the gumption to do it. Yeah. Or like to see a baby walk that you never really thought we're going to get out of their bed ever again. Or to see a baby have the attitude and the sass <laughs> that babies like slow down. That's just the humor. <laughs> it's just, it's so rewarding and fun because you know where they came from. Mm-hmm. And you know that fight that they put up to be there. Yeah. And when you speak to birthdays, are you talking about specifically ones in the NICU? Or are you talking about like visiting them later after they've been discharged? Both. Mm-hmm. We do primaries where um, parents and nurses can kind of say like, hey, we get along really well. I want this, I want this nurse to be my primary nurse. I want her to take care of my baby when they're on, if possible. And I keep in contact with most of my primaries. Mm. We just had a third birthday. Mm. And because of COVID, we couldn't have a birthday party for her. So her parents brought the birthday party to the NICU and they sent in food and they decorated our break room and they made a photo montage of her. And it brought so much joy, even to people who didn't even know her just Mm. to see like good things do happen here. Big things happen. Yes. Yes. Um, But being able to see the babies outside of the NICU is so, I can't even explain it. It's just the most like euphoric, you did it feeling. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I'm sure that is so cool because I'm envisioning like if I were a NICU nurse and like you get the babies and then like the best case scenario is that they're discharged. And then you get a new one and then like to never really see them like at home would be really hard. I think like Mm -hmm. to not, cause that's really the end goal is for them to be happy, thriving at home in whatever that looks for that baby. But I think that's really awesome that you're able to see that. And I think that's a really good idea too, for parent listeners right now, like do a birthday party, invite the NICU nurse. Cause I think like personally, I'd be like, oh, they're too busy. Or like, I don't know, maybe they don't care that much. And, but it's probably safe to assume that they do you do care. And they're like, they that's, adds a lot of motivation to your career, right? Like yeah. to see that. Mm. We do care. And then we have to go back to work and we tell everybody like, guess who turned three or guess who's walking or guess who's getting their G-tube out. Mm. And the floor is so excited. And they're like, oh my gosh, they're that old. They're mm. doing so well. It just, not only does it bring joy to your specific NICU nurse, but it word travels fast and it brings joy to everybody in the NICU. Mm, Yeah. It sounds so contagious. Like that excitement of like, ah, they did it. Like triumphant, happy child. (laughs) Right. Or like sometimes there are families that I keep in touch with that also were important to other nurses, but they don't really keep in touch. And they'll be like, do you have any, do you have any new pictures of this baby or do you talk to mom? And I'm like, oh, let me show you. And their whole 
night or day or attitude can turn around just by seeing a happy baby at home. Mm, okay. I feel determined. I'm like, I'm going to track down our favorite nurses. I haven't talked to them since Kimball was discharged. Mm-hmm. And he's three and a half. And I'm like, they need to see that how happy he is because we do owe so much of that to these awesome people that kept him alive. Like, because really what's happening and doctors are awesome. They're needed and stuff. But like, I think a lot of my relationships with medical professionals is with the nurses because they're the ones actually like they're caring for your child on a day-to-day basis. And I'll say like from a parent's perspective, like it's just kind of unreal like to have someone that can step in in a way that I can't as a parent, right? Like we don't have the medical train, most of us. And so to have people who both love your child and have the know-how do what you can't do for them is is just, you know, how do you ever think someone like that? Like, how do you ever say thank you enough? But anyway, I'm going to track them down and I'm going to I'm gonna show and them the all the pictures. Says, I'm three and I can yeah. walk. Yeah. And I'm happy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I feel like that's like what it all comes down to, right? It's like, regardless of like really what's happening milestone wise, it's like, this child is happy and we love them. They have so much love in their life. And Thank you. You know, man. So what are a few things you might think of that NICU nurses want parents to know, but maybe feel a little awkward to say to their face? Like, I wish you knew this, but I don't know how to tell you nicely. Like, give us a little insight into like what NICU nurses might be thinking or feeling. I think my number one, it's hard because it it's right for the baby, but it's hard to say to a parent. And it's when we have teeny tiny preemies or a baby that comes in with pphn they just need quiet and they need to not be touched and yeah i mean the parental instinct is i want to hold my baby i want to touch my baby i want to be a part and in reality the best thing for them is for you to just sit quietly by them Hmm. and that's always really hard because you don't want to take away that feeling of being a parent because you've already had that stripped from you when that baby was taken from you from the delivery room or was admitted into the NICU and you didn't get to take them home. So you have that kind of blurry line of, I don't want to deparentize this new mom and dad, but I also want to keep their baby as comfortable and as neurodevelopmentally appropriately cared for as I can and that's hard sometimes especially when either like they just don't get it or maybe they're a twin and they lost one twin or this is their first baby that's made it to birth and you don't want to take away those feelings but you also know that it's the right thing to say um yeah that would be a tough one that'd be very tough yeah but that's pretty hard. But I also, on the flip side of that is we, we want you to be involved. And sometimes it's hard for us to express that when you're still mourning, like when parents are still realizing, like, this isn't the healthy eight pound baby I was planning on taking home from the hospital, or maybe your friends are having babies at the same time and they are getting to go home and nobody really gets what you're feeling. 
So us trying to get you involved, but not hurting your heart is hard sometimes too. Mm. Like sometimes maybe all you can do is come in and have a sad day, but sit in the chair next to your baby and be there and trying to figure that out. If the parent can't bring themselves to talk about it, it's hard, but we also get it. If you need to have a sad day and you just, all you can do is sit in the chair and look at your baby that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's probably, that probably hurts your heart to see that, to see the baby that very much needs, you know, any interactions they can have with our parents, Mm -hmm. but then to also see the parent like in that emotional state where they're struggling to interact and to want to bond with that baby because of just being in such turmoil. And I imagine that is a really, really hard situation to witness. Cause it's just hard all around. It's right. And like, the NICU, down. the NICU is traumatic. Mm-hmm. There's no doubt about it. It's traumatic. <laughs> if your baby is there for three days and it's traumatic, if your baby is there for a year, mm-hmm. no matter what an admission to the NICU is scary and you're going to have PTSD from it. And you're going to have these moments of, Oh my God, what's that sound? Or, mm-hmm. Oh my God, the code button's going off. I mean, I have alarms in my house that will go off and I'll be like, oh my God, what, what is that? Who unplugged themselves? What baby's coding? Am I on the code team? But parents feel that too. Yeah. And I mean, as nurses, we know like, was it a real code? Is the baby fine? Is the baby not fine? But as parents, we, we can't tell you that. And so your heart not only is looking at your baby, but you feel for every other baby and every other parent. Yeah. And to hear that sound go off, you very well know, like that could be your baby or it could be the baby next door, or it could be a parent that you met walking out of the NICU's baby. And that's hard and that's scary. And that's so traumatic. I think knowing that your nurses and your doctors know it's traumatic is important. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I, that just brings back so many memories. The NICU is so interesting, like the way it's set up, because at least in the PICU that we went back to, it wasn't this way. So I don't know if this is like at every hospital, but like where you share the rooms with like the little curtain dividers, it's just like, it feels very surreal to be like, I'm living this version of my own hell. This mm. other family is living their own version of their own hell. And like to kind of like see them and be like, oh, what's happening with their baby? And I want to talk to them. But like, I don't know if I could say hi or like, I don't know. I felt very reserved in there. But like, and then to see the baby where you're like, oh, that baby, like, will they go home? Like, that's a lot of wires. Like I, there was right. a baby in specific. Like I was like, she's been here for nine months. Like where you just kind of see all these different like versions. You're like, oh, my gosh, will that be me? And mm-hmm. I feel for that family. And. I mean, it's a really interesting setting to be in where you're not just dealing with your own stuff, but as you say, you're noticing the other families and what they're going through. And my experience has been mostly with moms. I'm sure dads do too, but moms see and feel everything. Mm. Like I've had moms from other babies be like, there's something wrong with that baby today. Wow. Just because there are six babies in a room and you Mm. know, the baby's cries by that point. If you're sitting there and you're holding your baby and you are there long enough, like you're going to get to know them. 
You may never even lay eyes on them, but you're going to hear them. Yeah. But we just recently moved to private rooms. So it's more like the PICU setup. Really? Okay. That's cool. That's very cool. Yeah. I love the private rooms. Don't get me wrong. I think it's better for families. It's better for the babies, but it was kind of nice to see the parental interactions in the open setup. Yeah. Like it was really fun to see dads talk to each other because dads have dads are just usually so much more reserved than moms mm-hmm. or like you'll see a mom come in and be like oh like hey how's he doing today or as like you'll see the two dads like do a head nod I'm like that's enough <laughs> yeah. for them at first but <laughs> yeah. then they're like they're buddies and they realize oh like they like this football team and I like this football team and their baby's mm-hmm. name is this and I have a girl and he's a boy and we can joke and like we often will, will pair up babies and then it can be like, oh, they're dating. They're, they're going to date. <laughs> and oh and like that is fun. And to hear dads joke about that or families like have that connection is really, really neat. Yeah. I think it will probably adds a very needed lightness to the mood, right? Like you're mm-hmm. going through these like really hard things, like really intense stuff is happening, but like they're dating. So like they're that dating. helps, you know, or they're best friends. <laughs> Yeah. Or they're rap artists. Um, we Love made it. Sloan a rap artist one time with another baby in the NICU. <laughs> we got them matching outfits. That's awesome. And it was it was just fun. That is so fun. Oh my gosh. Yes. Yes. Add the joy. Like do the silly things. I think that's awesome. Do I the fun things. Do the Harry Potter photo shoot. Yeah take their wires off for a minute and let mom get a good picture that she can send to her family. Yeah. Make them real. Yes. Yes. They're babies. Like these are still babies. (laughs) These are newborns. Exactly. Oh man. Yeah. And I think a lot of that gets removed when they have an ECG and a SAT probe and God knows what else going on in their little bodies. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Sam, I would love to end with a pep talk for those who are listening right now that currently have babies in the NICU. What would you say to them? What would you love for every parent to know? I would love for every parent to know that they have so much power in the love that they have for their baby. And they need to believe in their baby and they need to believe in their baby so hard that everybody else around them believes in their baby. Hmm. And no matter what believing in their baby looks like for that baby's journey, it's going to make a world of difference when you reflect back on that time and know that you have an army behind you. You have your family and your friends but you have your medical team and you have these nurses that fall in love with these babies and it's a deep love. I can promise you that your babies touch us just as much as they touch you and they touch your families and they will always hold a special place in our hearts. And we are grateful and privileged to get to take care of them. I love that so much. I think that is a message every single parent needs to hear, whether or not their baby is currently in the NICU or was, because I think I think it's really important to know. So thank you 
so much for everything that you've shared today, for giving us insight into your, your life and your career and your heart and the love you have for these little babies. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me and letting me talk about it. Of course. Check out the website for pics of Sam at work as a nurse and to answer this month's question. Also on the website is a written out lightning round interview as Sam answers some of the more practical questions parents had. This is especially intended for those of you blessed souls still in the NICU. Also, be sure to follow me on Instagram at the underscore rare underscore life in order to watch a live Q&A Sam and I will have this weekend all about those burning practical NICU questions. You can find links in the show notes for Carrie's episodes about Sam and the other rock stars in her life and a solo episode I recorded a while ago about our own NICU stay. So as some of you know who follow me on Instagram, I have recently started an account with a platform called Buy Me a Coffee. And that is basically just a platform where you can make really small one-time donations towards the podcast. The podcast is not free to produce and I really appreciate every little bit that you're able to contribute. And a huge shout out to those who have already contributed, Brittany, Madeline, Erica, Carolina, and Natalie, plus two anonymous donors. Thank you so much. It really means a lot to me. I can just feel the love. So if you have benefited from the podcast, I encourage you to consider if making a small donation is something you can do. Thank you. Thank you. There will be a link for that in the show notes. Join me next week for our season four's finale episode. We will hear from three listeners as they share which episodes from this season most impacted them, and you'll get a little glimpse into season five's theme. Finale episodes are always short and sweet. See you then.